Hello and welcome to Xlander, a podcast about and for all of you who have left their home to find a new one abroad. From the beautiful country of Switzerland, I've been bringing you this show for over a year now, talking to expats from all over the globe. To make sure that you don't miss a single episode of Xlander Podcast, your favorite expat show, just click the subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Listen Notes, and all available podcast platforms that are out there. And in order to find out more about what I do, go to www.xlander.ch. And now, on with the show. The first episode of 2022 is here. And I'm truly honored and humbled to welcome a very special guest on the show, Her Excellency Ambassador of the Czech Republic in the Swiss Confederation and the Principality of Liechtenstein. Hello, Mrs. Katerina Fialkova. Welcome to Exlander. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for accepting the invitation. I tend to say that each guest on my podcast is a special guest because each of them has their own specific, authentic story behind why they relocated, how they relocated, what settling and living abroad means to them. And of course, having somebody from your sort of background, your experience and your diplomatic position uh, makes it, you know, even more appealing than for my audience. So, you know, let's start with just a very simple question. What brought you to Switzerland and how long have you been here? You're now sitting at the embassy in Bern. Um, what's the story behind that? Um, well, let's start at the beginning, shall we? Um, what brought me to Switzerland? Um, the short answer would be my work. Uh, the longer answer would be not only my work, but also interest in the country that I've been posted to. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> so you are you are an ambassador. So you are a high sort of high profile career diplomat. How do you get to that position? Well, that's a career that you know is not not on you know an everyday's list. Um, so how did you get to that? What brought you to that idea of becoming an ambassador? If I may, if I may ask. Well. Um... That's also a very interesting question that goes um, a little bit to, um, to my past. Um, your listeners, you are young yourself and your listeners probably too. So you um, don't uh, remember, I assume the time when uh, the Czechs and at the time at the, and the Slovaks were not um, free to travel mm -hmm. freely. And when you did get to travel, um, it was, it required a lot of effort and it was a special occasion. And myself, I did, when I was 20 years old, I did um, put the effort into it and uh, managed to buy a trip with a travel agency, a very expensive trip at the time to Cyprus. Wow. And we were a group of about 20, 25 people. And there was a problem uh, that we encountered in the hotel that we were staying at. And the problem then became very, um, I don't want to say serious, but it became very loud to the extent that the hotel decided to invite a consul from the then Czechoslovak 
socialist embassy. Mm-hmm. And the person came in and tried to mediate. And, and he, in my view, in a view of a 20-year-old girl, um, he didn't do a very good job. And he ended up taking the position um, of the hotel, which I really disagreed with. And uh, since I was probably the only person in the group who could speak English at the time, I became the spokesperson for the group. And essentially in front of everyone, I told him that one day I would join the foreign office. I would be the ambassador and I would do a much better job at defending the interest of my country and its people than he ever did. So um, this was the initial impulse and it sort of went from there. Nice. Well, what a story. I mean, we've had we've had several guests um, from, let's say, you know, your generation. Um, I am luckily the one who um, hasn't experienced what it was like. My parents did. Um, and it's also very good to hear that from people like yourself to sort of introduce that to that um, to, to, to my audience and to the viewers because people don't tend to know and they cannot really imagine. People younger than, than myself cannot imagine what it meant that you cannot like pack your bags and go and leave. I mean, it was a process usually that took a year or two in advance sure. and lots of paperwork and lots of... Um, um, lots of arguments, I would say, lots of... And lots of humiliation, too. Lots of humiliation. And yes, you know, it's it's good that these times are over, but uh, we shouldn't take for granted uh, what we have. Mm -hmm. And we should also keep on our mind that the fact that you and your generation and your listeners can do it doesn't mean that your generation all over the world um, has Mm. this privilege. Mm -hmm. So even though we may not realize it or think about it every day, we indeed do live in a privileged part of the world and and we should uh, behave accordingly. Mm -hmm. That is true. Now... Um, so what a story then can you uh, so basically your dream and your target sort of uh, position came true can you briefly then describe the role as you have today and what steps did you have to take in your career to get appointed how does one get appointed an ambassador I mean you're very very dedicated you're very talented um but it obviously was your goal. So, yeah. Well, it, it, it became a goal. It was not my goal, goal back from, then. From, the, from, from the outset. But this sort of this incident back in the late 80s, when it was not obvious that uh, we could travel and it was not obvious at all that women could actually join the foreign service right. in, in Czechoslovakia, um that it sort of came to my mind and I worked towards that goal. Obviously, I had historic luck because um, I was at the right age and with the right qualifications um, when uh, when the Berlin Wall fell and when Czechoslovakia underwent its velvet revolution. So um, yeah. the world was that, your oyster back then. Was- so to speak, and we were 
unlike maybe your generation, we were interesting and exotic and the opportunities were there and there were lots of possibilities and invitations for us to go and study and, and so on and so on. So in that sense, it was an exciting period in not only in the history of my country, but also my generation's life, if you will. Um, in order to become a diplomat or to become an ambassador, well, first of all, to become an, a, a diplomat, you um, have to join the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and you have to go through the Diplomatic Academy. Uh, I didn't go through it because it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Back then, it didn't exist when I joined the Foreign Ministry, but obviously it helps if you... If you have genuine interest in politics, um, in economy, in history, and you also need to have general knowledge and an open mind, because mm -hmm. you have to be capable of talking uh, to many people, uh, people from various walks of life, and uh, you genuinely have to care uh, for what they are doing and for what you want to achieve. So you join the foreign ministry and uh, believe it or not, there is something that's called the career rules or the career statute. And that pretty much tells you what steps you need to take in order to get uh, to the end, um, so to speak. And it takes about um, 20, 25 years, depending how good you are, depending on the postings you have. So you sort of go, um, you work in the capital first, then you go on a posting, then you come back and go on a posting again. And uh, you have to fulfill certain criteria in order to get promoted. Now, people use um, certain words from, from our life um, as interchangeable, and they are not. They say cultural attaché and commercial counselor mm -hmm. and so on and so on. Well, uh, we have ranks, just like in the army or in the police, these are actually ranks. And attaché is the lowest diplomatic rank that you can have and you work your way um, to the top uh, via the secretaries and counselors until you are minister counselor and then you are an ambassador. So you have to go through a full career of life, but then assume you get to the end. How do you become an ambassador? Well, not everybody who joins the foreign office does become an ambassador. Just like not every soldier who joins the army becomes a general. Mm -hmm. So you have to be, first of all, you have to be nominated by the ministry. Um, after that, you have to be approved by the government. Then you have to be approved by the president. Once you are approved by the president, then also the country who will be receiving you has to agree with you and mm. with your nomination. And once you get the so-called agreement or the agreement of the host country, then your president signs the so-called um, letters of credence, mm -hmm. which is a letter um, going back to the medieval times where the president or the head of state writes to the head of state of the receiving country saying, yes, this is the person that I'm appointing and this is the trustworthy person who 
communicates with you in a manner that I would, and, and, and that makes that person. That's what the words ex extraordinary and plenipotentiary actually stand for. These mm -hmm. are medieval practices where there was no email and, and no um, telephones and you really traveled on a horse in a carriage mm -hmm. with a letter um, to whatever country that your king or queen pointed you to. That was your ID of sorts, um, accrediting you as, uh, as the ambassador of, uh, of that head of state to the other um, head of state. So that's the process. And once mm -hmm. that happens and you indeed arrive, all goes well and you arrive in your receiving country, then comes a ceremony which uh, is actually kind of nice and it's a that's a bit of a highlight of your uh, of your diplomatic career where you take this letter of credence mm -hmm. and the receiving state sends a nice car or a horse-drawn carriage or what have you and you go and in a ceremony you actually present your letters of credence to the head of state. And once you've done that, you are the ambassador. Wow. Well, congratulations <laughs> on that. So you have been an ambassador here in Switzerland since 2019, right? Yes. And the letter of credence was handed to you by Uli Maurer, if I'm no, not mistaken. I was handing, no, no, no. My, no, 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 president, sorry. Gave me, my president gave me the letters the letter of, of credence. For, yes. For, for President, President Maurer. Yes. Okay. I was presenting my letters of credence to uh, to President Maurer. Okay. Yeah. In 2019. Very so nice. whoever's coming this year is presenting the letters of credence to uh, to President Cassis. Mm -hmm. Now there is a difference, of course, uh, um, between let's say Switzerland as a republic as a mm -hmm. Calvinistic tradition mm -hmm, republic mm -hmm. and and let's say a kingdom uh, mm -hmm. uh, or a country that has a queen or a king mm -hmm. or an mm -hmm. emperor so I had the privilege of being uh, present to the presentation of credentials of my then ambassador in the United Kingdom so mm -hmm. I was there when he was presenting to Her Majesty the Queen and wow. I myself had the privilege of presenting my letters of credence of to the Japanese emperor in 2010. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, that ceremony is much more ceremonial, if I can mm -hmm. put it that way, than here in Switzerland, because there you really do get the horse-drawn carriage and you really do get all the pomp and circumstance and you have to be dressed very nicely and uh, in the UK as a woman you have to wear a hat and gloves and 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 it's the whole nine yards and it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Wonderful and also I can guess unforgettable really. It is it one is. of a lifetime it thing. Of course it is, because you don't really get to shake hands with the Japanese emperor every day, do you? <laughs> or even the president of the country, for that right. matter. So, so yes, that's, that's what makes it rather special. And uh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
but it's only uh, one part of the job, obviously, the ceremonial part of the job, and then the everyday work comes. So, um, so everyday work, okay. Let's then, let's move from the representative part. part, sorry. Yes. Yeah, and let's come then to, let's try to describe the, the everyday sort of life of, a, of, of an ambassador when there are no, you know, there's no curtsy and there are no ceremonies and uh, the hard work is, is on. So what is it that you're responsible for apart from the representation and let's say the commercial interests or the I know it's very hard to describe but you know if you can if you try to put it into um yeah into a few sentences you know what what can we imagine well there is no such thing as a typical day in the life of an embassy and mm -hmm. that's what makes our job very interesting but also challenging at the same time um you hinted at the representational function of an embassy or maybe commercial function of an embassy. Well, uh, an embassy has, um, has other tasks as well. Well, first of all, we are the official representation of the Czech Republic to Switzerland and Liechtenstein. So, you know, the official representation is, is what's most important. Secondly, we clearly defend or our role is to um, defend the Czech interest uh, in the country that uh, we are sent to. So in this case, uh, it's, um, it's Switzerland. Uh, of course, we deal and negotiate with the government of Switzerland, with the government of Liechtenstein, but also with other bodies here. Uh, we also, I don't know, organize cultural events, mm. um, economic events. Uh, we are developing relations, putting substance to the relations between, um, between our countries. And of course, we also provide um, consular service mm. to the Czech um, citizens mm -hmm. to, to the Czech people. This is also another thing that people very often use the word embassy and consulate as interchangeable, yeah. which it isn't. Mm -hmm. And that's also something that I've been trying to explain that uh, whereas the role, um, the consulate looks after the Czechs, the consular part of my embassy, but my I'm not here necessarily for the Czech community. I'm here to maintain a relationship to um, to the receiving uh, to the receiving country. So mm -hmm. yes, my um, my job. Um, you know, you come to work in the morning. Of course, you deal with the paperwork. There is a lot of um, mail that is coming both from Prague and from the people here in Switzerland. So, so you do that, then clearly you have to read the news uh, to see what's happening, um, both in the country that I'm in, so mm -hmm. Switzerland in this case, Liechtenstein, but also what's happening in the Czech Republic, because somebody can ask me, well, what do you think about, uh, about the Czech position to Ukraine uh, very currently? So I need to keep an overview of what's happening in the world because it's not enough mm -hmm. to know just about um, 
Switzerland and the Czech Republic. So you can get asked pretty much on, on anything. Um, then I can, I'm not sitting in Bern only. Mm -hmm. I, I am not an ambassador to Bern, I'm an ambassador to the whole country. So clearly you do go out of Bern, um, you meet uh, the cantons, you meet the schools, you meet companies, you deliver speeches, you open exhibitions, but you also care about the fact that everybody gets paid who is at this embassy, that the grass is cut, because we have this beautiful building with a huge right. garden. Somebody mm -hmm. has to look after that as well. I'm not saying I'm doing it myself, but from time to time I have to walk through and say, well, this is very good, or no, you have to do this and that. Um, prior to this call, I was just walking through the embassies and checking whether... I don't know, the heating works and uh, whether we want to have uh, different pictures on the walls and things like that. So it, it, it is from the very um, representative all the way down to the, uh, to the most mundane, really. So, mm -hmm. uh, so no typical day, I'm afraid. <laughs> I know it's very hard to, to to describe that, but at least an attempt to have a glimpse into what yeah. your your job looks like and what it entails. Now, uh, perhaps a question. Um, now you mentioned that I don't really like to play the woman card, and it is usually um, to to have, to be a career diplomat, uh, you need to be ready to also sacrifice certain things, men or women. Um, you're traveling, you're relocating, family is sort of in uh, on the opposite part of the world if, you know, we were in Japan. So can you think of something that one has to really sacrifice? One has to think, okay, I'm doing this, but I have to know that certain things are just not possible or I have to deal with certain issues. Of course, just like in other jobs, um, which I'm not doing, so I can't talk about, but I assume there is an opportunity cost. You do something, but you don't have something else, you pay with it. There is a give and take. So clearly, yes, the fact that you move every um, two four to four years. years, two to four years right? Well, yes, the, 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 the average or the normal cycle is two years at home, four years abroad. And mm -hmm. so, so that's sort of the, 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 the formula, but uh, the higher you get, the more complex it, this becomes because uh, um, just to put it into context, two thirds of uh, the foreign services abroad, also two thirds of the people work abroad and one third works in the capital in Prague. And I think it's pretty much for any foreign service that mm -hmm. this is the ratio. Mm -hmm. So clearly the higher you get, the more interesting positions or the more senior positions are abroad mm -hmm. because the Czech Republic has, I don't know, 120 embassies and uh, consulates general 
uh, abroad, but there are only, let's say, 33 departments or something like that. So if you want to be a director, you have a, 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 a lower chance of becoming a director in Prague at the ministry than you do have in becoming a, an ambassador. Mm -hmm. It's one in four. So, <laughs> so that's why people don't rotate like this all the time but the rotation is what makes it on the one hand exciting because when people ask me what I like about my job the most I say well I can change my job every two to four years without changing an employer right because yeah. all of this is done under one employer and you can do lots of things I mean it's it's to a great extent, it's up to you how you steer your career, whether you stay within one strand or whether you try to uh, do different things, um, various things, uh, mm -hmm. as I have done um, so far. But this mobility also means that it's a bit difficult to cultivate relationships back home because, mm -hmm. uh, yes, of course, now it's a bit more bit easier with, uh, I don't know, computers and, and mobile phones and um, internet and stuff. But it really, you really have to have very, very good friends that will understand that you can't go out with them once a month uh, and have dinner with them, for example. Mm -hmm. Or it's difficult to pursue certain hobbies. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, prior to coming here, I, I was attending lectures on art history. Mm -hmm. And if they take place in the National Gallery, for example, well, you can't really transport National Gallery to Switzerland just for me, or you can't travel every Sunday to mm -hmm. Prague to attend your classes. So this is what I sacrifice as somebody who works, but I think the sacrifice is more on, on the members of your family, on mm -hmm. your partner, on your spouse and on your children, because I or my colleagues at the ministry, we chose this job. Mm -hmm. So we went into it with the understanding that it's a give and take, but your partner didn't choose this job. They chose you. Mm -hmm. And by extension, they got your life with it. Mm -hmm. And it's very unfair on your children because they didn't choose it at all. Mm -hmm. And even though they have the advantage of, I don't know, going to schools abroad, attending schools abroad, but they have to take, I don't know, check classes and, 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 and sit exams during their holidays and they can't be with their friends and God forbid, you know, when they get their first love and uh, you take them out of the situation that they are in and you move them to another country. And it doesn't matter whether you move them from Switzerland to the Czech Republic or from the Czech Republic to Switzerland. So I guess this is this is the cost that you pay, but um, the onus is more on on your family than than on yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I've I've heard and um, also read such studies that certain children. I mean, even though as you as you mentioned, you have this advantage of you know speaking five languages, meeting international friends, traveling all over the place. 
somehow they need to have roots. They feel that their roots are sort of everywhere and nowhere. So it's not only, I think, with diplomats, with families of, of diplomats, but with expats who would say, you know, who travel on contracts, uh, which might be exciting, I would say, for the family part, as you said, the partner side uh, for some time. Um, the question is, yeah, it's really everybody's choice, right? To it's, decide. It's, 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 a, it's a lifestyle. That's the reality. Whatever, whatever works for you and whatever you negotiate with the people closest to you. And I guess that, that goes for, uh, uh, for many um, jobs and many professions. I guess the one thing that we have an extra um, is that... Uh, not only myself, but my family, we are all seen as representing the country all the time. So you are never quite just for yourself. You mm -hmm. are always seen as somebody representing the country that you are from. Mm -hmm. You also need to be very careful about that image, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. So, so that's an edit, uh, edit I mentioned to, to all of that. You mentioned that you had a chance to, you know, have a receiving ceremony with the Japanese emperor. So you had that experience back in Japan, which is a culture very, uh, I would say, exotic to or mo most of us. How did that happen? And how, wh what do you think back about that experience? What do you miss for example, from that time, what did you like the most? Living in Japan is um, also not for everyone. So what was that experience like? Too many questions, well, I know, at once, but definitely <laughs> exciting. It's uh, very, in, in some ways, it's very different. But mm -hmm. in some ways, it's the same. And the same for me is that I didn't go there as a tourist. Mm -hmm. I went there for my job. Again. So the job, basically, wherever you go, it's it's a skill, um, it's a set of skills. So the set, set of skills um, you apply and, and it almost doesn't matter where you are. Mm -hmm. And then come the specifics. Now, um, what I liked uh, and at the same time disliked <laughs> about Japan is that, uh, that it was uh, very different. Um, the, the lifestyle is different. Uh, Yes, the, the country is different. So on the one hand, it can be very exciting and it is uh, in the beginning, but at the same time or, you know, from time to time, you sort of want to slip into a routine and, and, this, uh, and this didn't allow it. So I guess the most difficult thing for me uh, was the distance and the time difference because mm -hmm. we talked about leaving family and friends behind. So if uh, it's difficult enough if you are in the same time zone, but um, it's even more difficult if, when the time difference is eight hours. So, for example, in order to talk to my parents, we had to schedule a meeting. And for them, it was, um, for me, it was eight o'clock in the evening and for them, it was lunchtime. So, uh, you know, working around that, I, I found a bit, uh, bit difficult. I was there during, um, I, I, I was in Japan between 2010 
in 2014, which mm -hmm. means that I went through the triple disaster in 2011. So the earthquake, um, Fukushima disaster, um, the, the, the tsunami. So, so dealing with the aftermath of that, that was extremely interesting. When we were going through it, it was, uh, um, it was difficult, but I think uh, in retrospect, it was an incredibly uh, interesting and rewarding experience, uh, as strange as it may sound. Uh, what do I miss? Um, I, I guess I miss, um, I miss the sea. Um, most people say, well, I miss good sushi. That's true as well, but I guess I, I miss the one thing that we don't have in the Czech Republic, but, but, but the fact that you are on an island gives you a very different perspective on the world. And I also, in the end, miss this perspective on the world, because when you are here in Europe and you engage in navel gazing and you are convinced, uh, you know, that whatever is happening in your little area is the most interesting and most uh, important thing in the world. But when you travel outside, outside your region, outside your comfort zone, where you are the minority, so you are immediately visible and um, obvious uh, that sort of shakes your worldview and gives you a very, very interesting perspective on the world, but also on where you came from. So, so that I miss, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And is there anything still that you, that you sort of cannot head your, uh, cannot get your head around that was very different and you just couldn't understand why things are run certain way or done certain way? I mean, with you, do, do, do you mean with respect to Japan or with respect? Japan, with the respect to Japan. I mean, Switzerland, I, I'm oh. kind of not thinking much of an exotic country in that particular sense. I, I think more about, let's say, the mentality or the cultural background, you know, certain cultural things or quirks that you, you might think of that left you speechless and you still don't understand and but also left you let's say fascinated i'm sure there would be things like that but i guess i don't i don't think like that i mean this is this is not what i need to engage with mm -hmm. and that's a little bit probably the fact that i i am there representing my country i am in a you are a part of the society, but you are not. You yeah. are outside. You live in the Czech environment. My role is different. So if I were to work in, in a Japanese multinational company, obviously I'd have to um, I'd have to, I don't want to say the word assimilate, but I'd have to adjust uh, to a greater uh, degree than I do as as an ambassador, my role is to learn about the country, mm -hmm. understand as much as I can, but at the same time, I am not aspiring. I was not aspiring, mm -hmm. and, and just like here, I'm not aspiring to be part of that society. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, sure. uh, so, so there is a lot of things that, uh, 
avoid me mm. in a in a way. I mean, <laughs> if you want a quirk, I can name one. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't need it necessarily, no, but it's but it's not a. I don't know whether it's cultural, but what uh, what I found strange, and maybe you have a Japanese listener on on your podcast who can explain this to me. Very often, I notice that especially girls wear much bigger shoes than than their feet were. And I always thought this must be incredibly uncomfortable that you have, you know, your shoes are two sizes too big, but there you go. Okay. And nobody has been able and nobody has been able to explain this to me, why, why this is happening. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess it is a quirk. Well. But maybe it's not work. Maybe 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 it has a much deeper meaning. But maybe um, it's stuffed with something so that it is more comfortable. I don't know. No. I don't know. Maybe you know you expect your feet to grow. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, yeah, there you go. But if you, um, I guess, talk about uh, and this is not a quirk and it doesn't uh, and it's not related to Japan, but my profession and my job in general let's say I, I the one thing that I can't get my head around this and I probably never will is this uh, mythology uh, or mythical um, image that uh, a job of an ambassador or, or, or of a diplomat has that uh, you know people uh, and I guess people watch too many films and too many commercials and everybody believes that all an ambassador does is dress nicely live in a beautiful residence and go to receptions and uh, that the reception is sort of the thing that uh, everybody should aspire to well no we do lots of other things that I try to explain and a reception is actually a working method you mm. don't go to the reception to go to a can. reception yeah 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 well when it's possible you know not not not, not now with the pandemic but you don't go there to to eat uh, you go there to meet people it's uh, it's sort of an it's a work occasion Mm-hmm. And, and, and the main purpose is to meet people, to talk to people, to solve things. And at the same time, when we hold our reception, we also don't hold it to, I don't know, entertain or, or throw a lavish party. But again, it serves a purpose. You represent the country, you invite the people that you want to have there, you talk to them. So, so it is a work instrument. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that uh, I've been trying to explain ever since I've been in this job. Um, not sure that uh, that I'm managing to get this idea across that it's mm-hmm. not a mythical uh, event, uh, <laughs> an embassy reception that you absolutely need to attend, otherwise you are losing out on um, on the world and its wisdom. But, <laughs> Well, that's why I I think it's a great thing, you know, that you accepted the invitation and and we really have a chance to sort of hear uh, from you about the real life, the real thing and the lots and lots of work, the years of work behind this. Perhaps another question, and I know that you you explained this rather well, that yes, you don't um, sort of uh, aspire to, let's say, integrate within a society. So it's not a typical, it's not a typical 
uh, expat experience. It's a job. However, I would be quite interested. It does play its role since, you know, we're all people from different countries with different cultural backgrounds. Um, it does depend uh, if you say that you're a foreigner rep in a foreign country representing another country, where you come from is usually, and I would perhaps be surprised if, if it were not the case in your, let's say, sort of higher diplomatic circles, international community, uh, whether there are still certain stereotypes. Now, we, as both myself and, and you, are Czechs. Um, have you ever encountered any in that particular position? We are all people and we all have our stereotypes. Mm -hmm. um, people have stereotypes about the Czechs, about what it means to be an ambassador. And likewise, I have my stereotypes as well. You try to work with them, mm -hmm. but you can never completely get rid of them, I'm afraid. Now, uh, if I take one, one more step back and, and uh, you hinted at it, um, at my response, yes. My role, and I'd like to explain this once, once more in better words, if I may. Um, I, yes, I, my role is not to integrate. I have to learn as much as I can, but I still have to keep a certain distance mm -hmm. from the country and the culture that I'm in, because one of my biggest jobs is to write, and, and the embassies as such, not just mine, but, but the embassy, um, and I omitted it probably from my response about the typical workday. We, we write a lot of reports and we write reports about, what, about what's happening, but that you can, if you want, you can read on the internet. But the value added that we have is that we provide an analysis of what the things that are happening mean to the Czech Republic, to its interests, and uh, to the relationship to the country that you are in. So you have to keep this ability to analyze these things. And if you become too invested and too integrated, you lose the necessary distance. Mm -hmm. So that's why you are sort of in and off the culture. So, so you are part of it, but never quite. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it's an important, it's an important skill to have. Now, uh, whether I have encountered stereotypes, for sure. Not necessarily, as you say here in Switzerland, because I don't differ visually. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, I, it was obvious at first sight that I was not Japanese. Um, I didn't encounter the stereotypes or prejudices, if you will. I didn't encounter them with my work colleagues or colleagues that I met through my job, but in the streets, in a restaurant, where people didn't know what my job was, of course I did encounter them. But I guess um, the biggest, I, again, I don't want to say stereotype, but uh, I felt this most keenly 
back in the early 2000s when uh, as one of my well it was my second job abroad when I actually uh, worked at NATO I worked in the private office of the, the then Secretary General of NATO uh, Lord Robertson, who was a brilliant, brilliant boss. And when I joined his private office in the year 2000, on the basis of uh, of, uh, uh, of a concours, um, I don't know what the English word is, but um, I was very exotic because um, I was the first woman in NATO's history at the time to be in that job. Mm. I was a Czech. Uh, which meant I was one from the then new countries because mm. we only joined NATO in 1999 and I came to the private office in the year 2000. So, yeah, I was very, and it was a very male military environment. So, yes, people did come, literally came to the private office to check me out, to <laughs> see how I, how I looked like. Um, so they pretended they had uh, business uh, with the private office just to be able to come and have a look at, at, this, at this strange creature. But I've never felt that it was malicious. It was just curiosity. curiosity. And that's something that you deal with. And uh, yeah, you explain because that's, that's also part of the job that you that you can't let the prejudices weigh you down and, and you take them as an opportunity and you work on them and you you know um, you try not to be frustrated you smile and you explain you explain what you're about you explain uh, what your country is about what your job is about and, and you take as a beginning of a conversation would you then agree east-west home is based? Absolutely. Is that the yes. case for you? Can yes, you imagine yes. sort of moving back home, not applying for any other position, just sort of leaving back and have your quiet life there? Yes, of course. I dream about that. You were dreaming about that. Once, at least once a week. No, I, I can absolutely imagine uh, returning back to Prague and not ever having to pack another box and, 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 and staying at home. What I cannot imagine though is never ever traveling again. So mm. I imagine never ever moving again, but I cannot imagine never ever going abroad or, or traveling again. And I will come to Switzerland. I've been coming here for 30 years because um, and I may have, I, I should have probably said it at the at the outset. I studied in studied. Switzerland mm. in St. Gallen, right? Yes, that's correct. After the revolution, so um, I have friends here uh, from that period, uh, and I also have family here in here in Switzerland. So I've been coming here, and I will continue coming here, whether I am an, a diplomat or an ambassador or not. Okay. Well, uh, what a story. Um, have you got anything to add or that you'd like to share? You know, one uh, last sentence or perhaps a few? Uh, <laughs> a few more. Well, I, 
Um, I think I, I've, I've said enough. I've probably said enough. I've probably bored your um, uh, bored your audience enough. So I, I don't think I, I don't think I want uh, to add anything. Maybe just that uh, you know, um, if you have a dream, go for it because dreams do come true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, lovely. Everything's possible. Well, congratulations once more on your on your current position. Thank you very, very much for your time, for, for taking that time and that hour to really, you know, cover everything I guess there is um, about your position and also for sharing your interesting story. Well, thank you very much once again. Thank you, Ms. Kabosh, for having me. And uh, good luck with your um, podcast. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I hope that your listeners um, have a lot of things and a lot of interviews to look forward to. Okay. Thank you very much. And then have a nice rest of the day. Okay. Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs>